So no doubt this Christmas season that you have probably seen a nativity scene uh, somewhere in your travels, maybe at a store, uh, maybe in your own home, maybe at a church or movie or whatever the case may be, uh, that you've seen a nativity set. Did you know that uh, it was in 1223 that St. Francis of Assisi actually created the first nativity set or scene? And uh, so it's something that obviously that has taken off, and you can see them in all different shapes and colors and ways, and especially if you're going on to Frankenmuth, right? That whole store is filled with those things, right? And they have the nativity. And nativity simply means birth. Nativity means birth. And we look at that, but again, we're in this series called Christmas in Focus, and that if we really wanted to pick apart a nativity scene as a Christian and knowing God's Word and being able to look at God's Word and then look at the nativity scene, we can kind of pick some holes on it, can't we? For example, uh, this particular nativity set has an angel standing there. Do you read anywhere in the Bible that it says, while Mary and Joseph were there uh, cooing over baby Jesus, that there was an angel standing right there? No, we don't see that, right? Um, Probably the biggest one is that we see wise men in this picture. Were the wise men at the manger when Jesus was born? Probably not, right? I mean, Herod had all the babies that were two years old and younger killed because he figured out when the wise men came through and the Bible tells us that they went to the house where Mary and Joseph were staying uh, to see uh, Jesus. And so that probably is not the case. The other one, if we really wanted to be picky about it, we could say there's animals up there. Does the Bible say that there were animals there? No, but they were in a they were in a stable, right? Or in a, in a barn. And so we'll, we'll let that one slide, right? <laughs> but then oftentimes we'll see it, of course, with a, with a crash, right? Is that what they call it, where they have the, the stable? And uh, more than likely, experts tell us that when Mary and Joseph traveled uh, to Bethlehem, um, they were probably traveling with other family. I mean, they weren't the only ones living in Galilee that had to go to Bethlehem to the city of David to register for the census. And when they got there, no doubt they were probably staying with family. They would have relatives there. And uh, as experts have told us that the houses at that time probably had three levels. Some people would even stay on the roof. And that the bottom level was reserved for if you had some animals to keep. And they probably came and they saw how pregnant Mary was. And it was a little kind of typical to say, all right, we're going to put you in the bottom level because, well, quite frankly, it's going to get a little gross, loud, and ugly with you delivering a baby in our home. Um, so they would put them uh, down there. So some of those things uh, we, could, we, could pick a, we could pick apart about the nativity scene, but we don't do that because it's just like, oh, that's cool. We like to see a scene of baby Jesus there around Christmas time to a, be able to focus our attention on him. So I don't necessarily want to focus on the picking apart of the nativity scene and what we get wrong about the nativity scene. And as we look at it and say, ah, but what about this and this? I want us to deal with the facts today. Okay. If we're going to keep Christmas in focus and the reason that we celebrate Christmas in focus, I want us to deal with the facts that the Bible tells us about the birth account of Jesus. And especially as Al read it for us from Luke chapter one. So Luke chapter one, let's focus on the things that we do know from God's word about what happened that day when Mary, uh, or at that time, when Mary discovered that she was going to have a baby. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. 
So God sent an angel. Angel is a messenger. They sent this messenger to Mary. It doesn't say that he fluttered in, that he had a halo, that there was some kind of wings on his back and dressed in white. In fact, angels throughout the Bible, if you read, they oftentimes are just come up dressed normally, like they would just blend in with wherever they were. But in the sixth month uh, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee. That's where Jesus grew up in uh, Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So what are the facts that we learn about this passage of scripture? First of all, we learn that there was a virgin named Mary. A virgin named Mary. It doesn't tell us how old Mary was. We speculate that she was a teenager. Why? Because she was a virgin. And in that culture, the marrying age could start as early as 13, 14 years old. And all the teenagers said, gross, right? Uh, 13, 14, she could get married. And so it would be unlikely that she would be a virgin. And in her 20s or 30s, she probably would have been married off by then. So that's why they speculate that. But the Bible tells us that she was a virgin, that she was named Mary, that she was betrothed to a man. And what we would learn about this betrothal, especially in Matthew, was that in order to end that betrothal, you would have to give a certificate of divorce. So Joseph, if he wanted to no longer be married to Mary, he would have to divorce her. It's not like today where you watch the movies and they get left at the altar, right? And everybody's on pins and needles thinking, man, I hope that guy shows up, right? It's not like that in this culture. Um, It was a time where if it was betrothed, it was a done deal. There's commitment. There's dowries passed back and forth. There was conversations had. There's contracts. This is as good as a marriage. And she was that betrothed to a man named Joseph, who was from the line of David. Do we know how old Joseph was? Bible doesn't tell us. We speculate because Joseph is not mentioned anywhere else in in the Bible. He's only mentioned at the birth account of Jesus. So many people have speculated that he that he was uh, that died by the time Jesus started his ministry. I'm sorry, he is mentioned when Jesus goes to the temple when he's 12. But after that, we don't hear of Joseph. And people have thought, well, maybe he's died by then. And maybe he was an older guy that married a teenage girl. That doesn't seem unusual in that culture. And that when Jesus was 30 years old and started his ministry, that Joseph could have died by then. The average age of a Roman citizen at that time, uh, the death age of an average Roman citizen was 35 years old. However, you have to take into account that half of all Roman babies only lived or less than 10 years old. So half of Roman kids died before the age of 10. So that pulls the average down. There were many Romans that lived to 50 and 60 years old. But people speculate because of that. But he very well could have been a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old that married Mary. He could have, could have died. That may be why we don't read about him. Could be other reasons we don't read about him. But there could have been lots of reasons that he may have passed um, within that 30-year time frame as well. But the facts, again, are what? We have this Virgin Mary betrothed to this man that we learn as a carpenter named Joseph, who is from the line of David. This is important for a couple reasons. Number one, the fact that his father would be God and not an earthly father is very important. Because Jesus was God incarnate, coming to this world as the Son of God, and if he had Joseph as his biological father, could all of that have happened? And the answer is no. But the other reason it's important is because in Isaiah chapter 7, some 700 years before Jesus even came into the world, 
Isaiah said this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. That's why it's important also that Mary was a virgin, because God keeps his promises. What God says is going to happen, happens. And that should give us all great hope when we read this Bible about what's going to happen in the future as we understand who God is. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Jesus was from the line of David. Important for, again, two reasons. Number one, that helps us understand why they had to travel some 90 miles from Galilee to Bethlehem to register for the census because Joseph and Mary were of the line of David. That's where they had to go to register. It gives us a description of that. But again, secondly, it was prophesied. And when God's word says something's going to happen, it happens. And that's why it's important as well. Luke chapter 1, 28 through 30. And he came to her, the angel, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she, being Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What kind of greeting is that? That wasn't a hello, how are you, what up, dude? It wasn't any of that. It was, come on, that's a little funny, right? Andy's talking like that. Uh, Try to discern what kind of greeting is. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. What we discover in this birth account is that the Lord was with Mary and that she was she found favor with God. She, he was going to be with her and she had found favor with him. The fact that God was going to be with her had huge implications, did it not? God promises to be with you and I as well. He says, I'll, I'll be with you always in the Great Commission as we go out and make disciples. He says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And that should give us comfort and hope and peace. Well, imagine being a virgin who's going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And everybody knows that Joseph isn't the biological father. And she's going to have to journey through life like that for the next nine months. And people may be looking, maybe talking, maybe gossiping. Who knows what? Who knows what kind of persecution she would have to go through? But the fact that she knows that God is with her brings peace, I would imagine, wouldn't you? But the second part is that it, she found favor with God. She found favor with God. Now, does it say that she was perfect? It doesn't say that she was sinless, does it? It doesn't say that she didn't go on to have other kids. In fact, we read through the Gospels, we know Mary had other kids. It doesn't uh, tell us that uh, she never had relations. You can discuss that one with your kids on the way home in the car. Um, with her husband Joseph after this. It doesn't tell us that, Right? So there are other faiths and religions that would, that would say that about Mary. It doesn't tell us that about Let's just deal with the facts of what's happening here. And the deal with the facts is that the Lord's favor was on her. It reminded me of Genesis chapter 6. Uh, way back in Genesis chapter 6, after the creation, and then uh, uh, after the man sinned, and God covered their sin by sacrificing an animal and covering them up. And then in Genesis chapter 6, it said, man's heart had become evil all the time. Can you imagine a world in which every person on the face of the planet's heart was evil all the time? 
And in Genesis chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor. In this world in which everybody was evil all the time, Noah remained faithful. Now, was Noah perfect? Well, if you read the account of Noah, when the waters receded and they came off the ark, what did Noah do? He hit the sauce, right? And he got pretty drunk. He got so drunk, he got he passed out, right? Did I say all that correctly? I'm not a drinker. Anyway, um, he passed out. And there's a whole thing with his sons that took place. Noah was not a perfect man, yet in the moment when God needed him most, he found favor with God because he had faith in him. In Exodus chapter 33, we know the story of Moses, right? Moses was uh, born in Egypt under slave conditions, uh, but he was uh, taken in by Pharaoh's daughter. So he was raised up in Pharaoh's palace. And then he was the one that God used to bring the Israelites out of slavery across uh, the wilderness to the promised land. And in Exodus 33, and Moses had this, he had this incredible relationship with God that we see as we read the Old Testament. I mean, just a fascinating relationship. He would converse with God. He would talk with him. And it started out, it was a little rough when it started out, but it kept getting better, their relationship. And in Exodus 33, uh, Moses cries out to God and says, I want to see your glory. I want to know more of who you are. I want this relationship to be even tighter than what it already is. And in verse 17, God said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses found favor with God. Was Moses a perfect man? No, he didn't even get into the promised land because of his imperfection. He struck the rock instead of just saying, water come out of it. It seems little to us, but God knows his heart. We know he wasn't a perfect man, yet he found favor with God. And in the same way, Mary, this virgin girl, who obviously had faith in God, was used by him and found favor with him. The next few verses in Luke 1. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary will give birth to the Son of God. That's a fact. As we read the Bible, as we read scripture about this whole birth account, we know that Mary is going to give birth to the Son of God. Again, we go to Isaiah 7, 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means what? God with us. She's going to give birth to the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 1, the birth account that Matthew gives us, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary is going to give birth to the son of God. No pressure there, right? <laughs> Someone came to you and said, hey, listen, uh, you're going to have a baby in nine months, and uh, they're going to be the president of the United States when they turn 40 years old. So you need to teach them all about the Constitution, all about the government. They have to get straight A's, or otherwise this plan is not going to work. That would be a lot of pressure. Maybe. I don't know. Teach them to be a crook. They don't get to Washington. Who said that? Did I say that? I didn't say that. 
Mary was told, this is going to be the Son of God. The government's going to be on His shoulders. He's going to save the people from His sins. His name is going to mean God with us. She's going to give birth to the Son of God. Verses 34 and 35, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? She was paying attention in biology class. She's like, that's not how this thing works, right? How can this happen? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The birth of Jesus flat out was a miracle. It was a miracle. Now, we serve a God of miracles, do we not? I mean, we can look way back. He created the heavens and the earth. That was a miracle. He breathed life into man. That was a miracle. He had uh, Noah build this ark and had animals just show up at his doorstep two by two. I would call that a miracle. He parted waters so that people could walk across. Probably a couple million people could walk across the sea, get to the other side dry, and then close the waters over the enemy. We serve a God of miracles. When they were in the wilderness, they wake up in the morning because they were hungry and there was this bread type stuff, this manna that was on the ground. They can collect. And if they collected too much, it would spoil. Except on Friday, because the Sabbath was holy. That's a a miracle. They wanted meat, so he sent quail. That's a miracle. They wanted water, so he had it come out of a rock. Have you ever tried that one lately? Doesn't happen, right? We serve a God of miracles. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus walked on water. I know we feel like doing that when we get in Torch Lake because it's so cold, but we can't do it, right? He walked on water. He healed people. He cast evil spirits out of people. Deaf people could now hear. Blind people could now see. That's the God that we serve. He's a God of miracles. And he resurrected. He raised other people from life. But this miracle, this one, was not done any time before, nor any time later either. This was that kind of miracle. We can look in the first church, and people were given spiritual gifts to be able to heal people. The disciples were able to heal people. But never again would we see a virgin give birth. Not before Jesus, and not after Jesus. This was a miracle of all miracles. And that's a fact that we read when we read in Scripture. And if we're going to keep Christmas in focus, we have to get past that fact that something that's never happened before, never going to happen, it only happened one time, and that was Jesus coming into this world. Again, Isaiah seven fourteen prophesied that that's what would happen, that a virgin would give, a birth, would give birth. Luke 1, 36 and 37, I love this verse in here. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. Not that part, the part's coming up that I really like, okay? And this is the sixth month with her who, who was called barren. So we know that uh, that also is a miracle that Elizabeth was going to give birth later in her years. We know that that's a miracle that has been done before in the Bible also. But then the next verse says this. For nothing will be impossible with God. Isn't that awesome? In fact, I want you to say that one with me, okay? We're going to have audience participation on the count of three. Are you ready? One, two, three. For nothing is impossible with God. Do you really believe that? I really hope that you do. Because I know that in life, there can become some really dark times. There can be some times that you feel in this valley that you can't even see the other side of the mountain to even want to work at getting up there. I know that there are moments of loneliness. 
I know that there are moments of depression and anxiety and trying to figure out what is life all about and what do I do with this life. I know that there are moments in marriages where people are at each other's throats trying to figure out if this thing is even going to work. And I know that there's times when our kids are gone astray and we're like, what in the world did I do and what do I need to do to bring them back? I'm here to tell you that nothing is impossible with God. And if nothing's impossible with God, should we ever cease to pray for those moments? Never. Should we ever lose hope that God might work in that moment? Never. Why? Because nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Isaiah 43, 13 says, Also henceforth I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. We have this word in uh, Bible circles that we call omnipotence. And it means all-powerful. And that's who God is. Daniel 4.35 All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. He is all-powerful. Mary said in verse Luke 138, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The last point in your outline is simply this. Mary obeyed. She obeyed. All in this time frame, what's taken place? She's gone from being a virgin, betrothed to a man, a carpenter who's ready to leave his parents' home and provide for this woman, making preparations for the day when he gets to go get his bride. He's the bridegroom and take her uh, to his home and they're going to be married uh, forever after and have a house full of kids and life's going to be wonderful. And in an instant, an angel shows up and says, Mary, God's got a bigger, better plan for you. It's an also plan. It's not that you don't get to do all those things, Mary, but first, God's got something else for you to do. And that something else is, you're going to carry the Son of God in your womb. You're going to give birth to the Son of God. Now, Mary could have been like Moses. What did Moses say? Oh, can't you pick somebody else? I don't speak very well. Um, I'm not the guy. I don't think they'll like me back there. Remember, I was kind of kicked out of Egypt. She didn't put up a fight. She didn't put up a fuss. She didn't say, Lord, can you pick somebody else? She just simply said, yes. She obeyed. She obeyed. So here's some things that we speculate. Mary was a teenager. We don't know that, but we speculate she was, who probably dealt with persecution. People would know that this wasn't Joseph's uh, child, and so they may be name-calling and gossiping. We don't know that for sure, but we speculate that was probably taking place. And that in carrying a baby that was not her husband-to-be's child, that persecution came with it. We speculate about those things and what took place. But the facts of the case are this. Mary was a virgin, betrothed to a man named Joseph of the line of David, and she was told by an angel that you're going to carry the Son of God. And she said, okay. All of that reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, Mary's name is not mentioned, but it's this faith hall of fame that all of these people are listed like Abraham and Moses and David and others, that they were justified before a holy God because of their faith in him. And I see the same kinds of things in Mary. None of those people were perfect, but their faith justified them. Mary wasn't perfect, but her faith was the thing that 
caused God to find favor with her to say she's the one. In Hebrews 11, this is what we read. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. That's how people were justified before a holy God. We have Jesus as our gift, free gift of grace that if we receive his blood dying on the cross, washing our sins away, we can have salvation. Well, what about before Jesus? People were justified by their faith. And people were like trusting God even though they couldn't see him. It goes on to say, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Later in the chapter, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Is there any doubt that Mary had faith because God found favor with her? Because that passage just tells us it's impossible to please God if you don't have faith. Verse 10, talking about Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Even Abraham, thousands of years before Jesus came on the scene, was looking forward to heaven. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I think Mary fits in this category. I think she fits in this category of this faith hall of fame. That God found favor with her. Why? Because she had faith in him. And he said, you're going to be the one to carry this child. And I think Mary's life should inspire us. That even though we're not perfect, God's got a plan for us. And because nothing is impossible with God, we can take it to the bank, whatever that plan may be. And all that brings me to our core verse for the day. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore... All right. So because this whole all these people that surround us with faith, all these people we read about in the Old Testament, reading about Mary, reading about Joseph and how trustworthy that they were and how much faith they had in God to believe what was taking place, what was happening. So therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people that have gone before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance this race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because we can read about the story of Mary giving birth to Jesus, because we can read about the story of Joseph being by her side and listening to the angel, Because we can read the stories of all the people in the Old Testament that were justified by the faith that they had in a holy God who they couldn't see. Therefore, let's you and I also, because we're surrounded by all these great stories and God's word to be able to read about faith and to understand. Let's you and I focus in on the true meaning of Christmas, laying aside all the things that hinder us from being able to get to Jesus, lay them aside and keep our eyes focused on him, running the race that he's put before us. The last thing in your outline, I worded it like this, and I don't know if I was creative or just corny. Therefore, make a decision with precision to get on mission. (laughs) The first thing you have to do is make a decision. Do I want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior or not? Am I ready to jump on board and say, 
Jesus is my king. Jesus is my Lord. Am I ready to get on board and say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior and surrender my life to him? And then if you're here today, as I know most of you are, that have accepted Jesus as savior, what does it look like to accept him with precision? Meaning that you want to be like Moses saying, I know we have this relationship, but I want more of one. I want to know you more, God. I want to understand you more and know more. I want to see your glory. Are we that hungry for who God is and wanting to understand more about who he is? Are you ready to break through all the commercialization, all the pictures they put up about the nativity and really dive in and say, what are the facts of Jesus coming into this world and teaching us and training us and dying on the cross and resurrecting? What does it really mean? Are you ready to follow him with precision? And then when you follow him with precision, you're going to find yourself on mission. Because to follow Jesus with precision is to find in there this little thing called the Great Commission that says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And if we truly want to not just receive him and believe in him, but to follow him and to understand who he is, is to truly bring Christmas into focus and understand that God's word is something that's challenging us Not just to receive and have everlasting life, but to continue to believe and to follow him and tell other people about who he is. Let's be on mission this Christmas. Let's keep Christmas in focus and focus in particularly on Jesus who came to save the world of our sins. And always keeping in mind that nothing's impossible with our holy God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, Christmas, this time of year that we... I don't know, we speed up because it seems like it flies by and there's all this rushing around going on. But at the same time, we slow down by everybody taking the day off work and we sit around home with family and eat a lot of food and just enjoy each other's company. So we're grateful for that, Lord. Uh, But Father, in the midst of all the, be it chaos and busyness and traveling or the just sitting in our recliner with family all around, may we not lose the opportunity or miss the opportunity to just simply give praise and honor to you for who you are. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, if there's family members around our table with us that don't know or haven't received the gospel, that this Christmas season that might happen. That some in this room might experience someone surrendering their life to you while they're sharing the gospel around Christmas time, just bringing Christmas into focus. We ask you for that blessing, Lord God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's close with the song.